The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I got stuff for you. Holy moly. I need to get some snakes and release them around my house. Uh, but I love eating people. I love eating kids. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural. Lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. corn, corn. Every day that you open your mouth. I know, right? I'm more convinced that you're abducted by aliens. <laughs> no. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the? These are idiots. I was laughing reading this because I already knew how you would feel. Idiot. What part <laughs> of the story fits your balloon? Well, this isn't a UFO. Yeah. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh, yeah, Mothman. Well, everyone, I think we know exactly what it is. So say it all with me. It was the Sandhill Crane. Would you try it? No. You wouldn't eat it? No. Why? Because they're probably toxic. There'd be a lot of poop in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. Welcome back to Cryptids of the Corn Podcast. I'm the great and powerful mystery. You sound frightened for being so powerful. It's it's after us. And I'm Jay Clone. Uh, Shh, keep your voice down. 35. It's coming to get us. I hear him. Or is that you? That's just my, my tummy rumbling. My tummy rumbling. No, today's episode. Was that a wolf howl in the beginning? Or? It's supposed to be a Bigfoot. I know. Oh, just, okay. It's all about killer Bigfoots. Killer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a... We were asked for what's what like, this season's like because every season it seems like we have a really scary episode. Yeah. So this is this season's really scary oh, one. So you mean like killer, like murder, Bigfoot, not like killer. Bigfoot. No, no, like Bigfoot wearing you like a hat. Oh, okay. Not good. Skin hat. Like, like uh, Buffalo Bill Bigfoot. Like yeah. That's a lot of bees. Like uh, what? So before we continue into this episode, here is the parents' warning. That the, some of the accounts are going to get into are extremely graphic, gruesome. They are gory. Uh, a guy was beat to death with another guy's arm. Oh gosh, so, I was just trying to think of G words. So this is your warning as we move into this episode. That you know, for younger listeners, this may be a little bit of a rough ep- episode. Might be too gnarly. Gnarly. It's another G word. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that. Would I be hate funny. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those words that why I got put into special education. Well, because I had a meltdown because I'm like, why is there a G in it? There's a lot of things in the English language you could that could happen with. Gnarl, I think, was the word that like gnarl. Yeah, because it was on the same spelling test as like duck. <laughs> yeah, that shouldn't happen. Yeah, it's just a trick. Education system's bad. Rockefeller. Uh, so yeah, before we get, it, well, it's all about Killer Bigfoot. Uh, very violent Bigfoot and deadly Bigfoot encounters. Uh, we're really going to focus this episode on that Bigfoot can 
be not your friendly forest giant like some people talk about. Right. They are, whether they're, I think they're higher per intelligent, but whether you believe that or not, they are wild animals. Mm-hmm. Then the, you, wild animals can turn on you in two seconds. Like this week's freaky fauna at the end of the week, or last week's freaky fauna. One or the other. Well, something. We talked about grizzly bears. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Jig is up. The jig is up. We talk about grizzly bears. No, so we'll get into this. Uh, before, we're going to play our next little skit for Flavors of the Forest. Well, you know what animal's not that scary in the woods? The squonk. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let me get it queued up. You talk for a second. Well, I figured you would have already had this ready since we talked about it right before uh, we started. Suey! I got me this hot, fresh squonk steak, but man, it tastes bad. Jay, you got anything to fix this up? I think you need some seasoning on that squonk fixer up. Well, what do you got? How about you try this right here? It's called Bigfoot Breath. Raw garlic seasoning made from fresh garlic. Oh, give me that. That's right, that's right, that's right. Well, it did make it taste a lot better. Mm, Jeez. Brank brought that squonk right alive, didn't it? You know, I'm going to have to kill more squonks to use more of this seasoning. Oh, how about you try this instead? How about you try my spicy garlic seasoning? Oh, give it here. (laughs) Suey! That's good stuff. Spicy, but not too spicy. That's perfect. Just Where a- can you get these delicacies? Oh, you can find these on flavorsforest.com. This is our newest uh, spice that's just been created, and it's from Flavors of the Forest. Make sure you all get some at the links down below. We'll catch you. See <laughs> I am not good at improv. <laughs> Are you broken? <laughs> I was. Oh gosh, no! You you're bad at improv, huh? You're bad at improv. Yeah, when it comes to that stuff, I'm glad they love them though. I'm good at going with the flow, but not good at that part. So we're gonna keep doing these skits. Uh, we're gonna record one more today. That'll actually be the last one after we record this. All right. Uh, we, oh gosh. Oh no, we already recorded it. Yeah, we did. My brain's all over the place. But no, we're gonna talk about Killer Bigfoot. Um, this is kind of one. That I wanted to do for a while, and there will definitely, I think, be a part two later on in the season. Okay. I just found so many stories. Okay. Um, and I think it's kind of ignored. So in the Bigfoot community, I think you either go all violent Bigfoot. Yeah. Or all friendly, friendly forest, forest giants. Yeah. And we've talked about this on our show many a time that Bigfoot is an umbrella term for probably several different yeah. phenomena uh, that is occurring in the world that we're all calling Bigfoot that isn't. So I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today is what we'd call the flesh and blood Bigfoot. Okay. Flesh and blood needs and flesh and blood fears. Have you ever seen uh, the movie Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny? Yes. When he, he what does he, is he, he gets stuck out in the woods and eats those mushrooms and then he sees Bigfoot and he calls him Papa Sass. Papa Sass. And then he realizes he's, just, he's hallucinating it all. You're my baby, Sass. And he looks down, and he's all hairy too, and he's like, <laughs> so funny. When I when you think when I think of big friendly forest giant, that's what pops into my that's head. What pops in your head, <laughs> yes. Uh, and we'll talk about at the end what may cause a Bigfoot to have some of these actions. We're we're going to discuss today. 
Uh, most of this is coming from an article from Mysterious Universe, but I also there's several other articles we kind of picked and choose from. Okay, but it's uh, when Bigfoot gets giant, violent and deadly is kind of the first Ooh. article we're using. Yeah, um, but yeah, ready to get into it? Oh yeah. In the later part of December of 1885, the sa- what sounds very much like a Bigfoot was allegedly encountered in the wilds of Oregon, the United States. It fired up a media storm. And particularly so, the Carson City, Nevada Morning uh, Appeal. That's the name of a paper. They used to name papers the dumbest things. <laughs> yeah, but I miss it, you know? I, it probably made more sense then. Yeah. Because it's like, when you see this stuff researching, this is a side tangent already. Uh, when you see this stuff researching, you're like, what the heck is the Carson City, Nevada Morning Appeal? It sounds <laughs> like a like a judge thing or yeah. like a legal thing. Yeah. Like, no, it's it's a paper. It's just a newspaper. On December 31st, which is the last day of that year, the following was reported by the staff of the newspaper. Much excitement has been created over the neighborhood of Lebanon, Oregon, recently over the discovery of a wild man in the mountains above the place, who is supposedly the long-lost John McCarkey, or McCarty. So they they immediately, in this paper, they think it's, there's a guy that went missing, and there's a wild man. They just assume the wild man's that guy. Got the guy. Oh, that is the guy or yeah, they got think the it guy? is the guy. Oh, okay. They think it's he went feral. Gotcha. First off, you know how many people go missing in Oregon? Especially in 1885? No, I don't know. A lot. Oh, okay. Because it was still forest. Well, it yeah. still is forest, but it was still even more more forest. And you could walk 20 feet off and a mountain lion would grab you and that would... Wait a minute, like industrially logged. Yeah. Swaths of <laughs> Made land. Made up spotted owls. Uh, <laughs> so they think it was this... Uh, McIntyre. I don't know why I said McCarkey, because that comes up later. McIntyre is the name of the man. Oh, okay. About four years ago, McIntyre of Lebanon was out hunting in the mountains east of Albany with another man, mysteriously disappearing with no definitive trace of him has yet to be found. I think the other guy murdered him. Could be a possibility. <laughs> a few days ago, a one Mr. Frizzle, we found his we found her husband. But, yeah. <laughs> and other... While hunting in the vicinity of the of the butt known as Bald Peter, uh, right in the middle of the Cascade Mountains, several miles above the new settlement, saw a man resembling the long lost man, entirely distributing of or no clothing, basically, who had grown his hair as an animal and was completely wild. So there's a, a naked man living on Bald Peter. Yeah, that's the name of the mountain. Yeah, Bald Peter Mountain, there's a naked and wild man. Okay. But they said he grew tons of fur like an animal. So think of this. He's no clothes. Yeah. Very dirty. Four years. Okay. Out in the wilderness. Right next to town. Keep in mind. Okay. I know it's in the wilderness, but he's like within 10, 20 miles of the town. Right. Four years to find town. He would have found town. He didn't want to. Is what you're saying? No, that's that could be the possibility. Yeah. Or this isn't that guy. Or it's not that guy. Yeah. That's more what I will get to. It. It's yeah. more what I'm leaning towards. It's just not that guy. Probably not. Yeah. Because they're like, huh? We just seen that guy. He must be lost out here. You found him. He would have found home if right. he's eating salmon and crawling all the rocks. Or he's just realizing like this is way better. My other thing is, how would you recognize him if he's covered in dirt and fur and hair? And yeah, hair, and you're like, oh, it looks just like him. Right. Yeah. McIntyre that went missing four years ago looks just like him. I mean, it could just could be that thing. They know the man went missing. They seen a a hominin, um, a bipedal, a thing, human-ish thing. It's like must be him. It must be him. Okay. It wasn't, but we'll get there. 
Okay. He was reported. This report continues. He was eating the raw flesh of a deer when first seen. They approached him within a few yards before they saw him, and then he fled. Isaac Bunty saw this man in the same location two years ago. It was believed that the man, had un- the unfortunate man who had lost, uh, became deranged and has managed to find means of substance while wandering about the mountains, probably finding shelter in some caves. A party of men began organized to go and search for him. This happened in the Beast of Boggy Creek, too. Way before the Boggy Creek sighting, they had a wild man that they swore was a, a, a guy. Okay. And they made a posse, and they went out and caught him and tried to make him wear clothes, and then he he almost killed a guy, and he killed a horse, and then he ran away. Nice. So, so I'm just saying, there's some similarities here. Stop trying to clothe people that don't want to be clothed. That's, that's the first thing I learned about you. Me? Yeah, I can't force you to wear clothes in here. Right. I try, and you're like a greased-up pig, squealing. and I record better. You know, my thoughts are more free when my body's free. So the reports is this report is interesting. It suggests that the link between the mysterious beast and the odd disappearances of a couple hunters. Oh, I may have skipped ahead. Sorry. Oops. No, it's uh, yeah. So they went to they went to find him. He was probably taking shelter in the cave. Uh, like yeah. So a couple odd disappearances were also in the area. Of course, it's absurd to imagine that either the vanished John uh, McIntyre or his colleagues could have sp- uh, sp- sprouted a body of thick hair as a result of living in the woods. Like we talked about, pigs can do that. Yeah. It hasn't been observed in people. There are a couple of cases of people. Uh, but they, yeah, so, they think um, he may have been responsible for the other disappearances. So there's more disappearances in yeah. this area. Okay. So they, they gear up to go look for him, uh, but they don't think uh, it was him. Like The current author doesn't think it was him because it, he had a full thick coat of fur. Right. Another aspect are, however, provoked a very important question. Might a hairy animal, quite possibly others of this kind, be directly resembling this appearance? So they go out to catch this guy. Uh, He kills two other people trying to catch him. The the quote-unquote guy. The man, the wild man, kills two of the people. Okay. And then after that, they have a string of disappearances. Hmm. Which means he's killing more people, probably. They keep swearing it's this guy covered in a thick coat of fur. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a guy. No, not really. A serial killer that is very proficient at capturing and murdering people. So, uh, yeah, so he was eating raw flesh, and there's actually a couple diseases that can be connected with eating raw meat like that and cause a person to go feral or go insane. Okay. So there is a chance that it is just him that he had gotten these diseases from having to eat raw meat before he made it back to town. And he kind of just snapped. It's a lot of, like, uh, worms are a big one. Uh, Parasites can get into your brain, and they will just start eating your brain. What if a fungus was in that? It was Bob. It was Bob's fault. Oh, it's his organ. But, yeah, so he's at least responsible for the death of four men uh, that was witnessed. The two men in the posse and the two men later that went out to try to get him again, and he killed both of them with a rock. Jeez, okay. Portlock. Yeah. They had squished head syndrome. Oh, yeah. Fist to head. Fist to head. Watch this disappearing act. <laughs> so some people of the field of cruisology will tell you that Bigfoot creatures are quite placid, quiet, and in some cases friendly. And that may be true at some times, but it is definitely not the case for every encounter with the Bigfoot type being. When you're, what you're, 
I'm going to tell you some really bad stories. Um, so I'm going to skip around a little bit. Okay. So with that being said, let's get to the very heart of this all. Probably my favorite violent Bigfoot story. Uh, from a book called The Wilderness Hunter, and I will get to the author later. The savage killing of a woodsman, either in Wyoming or Montana, uh, a couple decades earlier from when the book was written, in ni- or 1890. It was a story that came to this, this author, who had been an outdoorsman for his whole life and a prominent hunter. Oh, I thought you were waving your hand at me. But he's still, Jay's trying to catch a gnat. I just had it too. By one of the primary players in the saga, a man named Buntman. According to the tale told by this author, Buntman and a friend were deep in the woods, stalking an unknown animal. Uh, I'm actually going to scroll okay. really fast. I got to get to the bottom. I have the actual passage. Okay. Frontiersmen are not, as a rule, adapt by superstition. They lead lives, as an actual from the book. They lead lives hard in principle. They have very little imagination in things spiritual and supernatural. I have heard a few ghost stories while living in the frontier, and a few where they were practically commonplace in out of a conversational type. But I once listened to a goblin story, which rather impressed me. A grizzled, weather-beaten old mountain hunter by the name of Buntman, who was born and had passed all of his life on the frontier. He must be believed what he said, for he could hardly re- or repress a shudder at the certain point of the tale. But he was a German ancestry, and the childhood had doubtlessly been sautered with all kinds of ghost and goblin lore, and had so many fearsome superstitions were lent in his mind. Besides, he knew well that the story told by an Indian medicine woman in her winter camp of the snow walkers and the specters and the formless evil beings that haunt the forest depth, and the dog in the wayland of the lowly wanderer after a nightfall passage to the region where they lurk, and it may be overcome by the horror of the fate that befell his friend. So before I continue already, he's kind of getting at this, this author is getting at that mountain people generally don't have much need for superstition or stories. You know, uh, if you think of like a classical, and keep in mind those 1800s, Mountain people are living out there by themselves for a reason. Yeah. Or they may live with a buddy or, you know, a wife or whatever, but they're not people people. Right. They're not the the big community uh, yeah. pillars of the community. So telling stories and that kind of stuff is not the thing. You just learned what the word grizzled meant in this aspect. Yeah. What does it mean? Gray-tipped hair. Gray-tipped hair. So an older gentleman. Yeah. Grizzled. So so far, he's just saying that he would have been well-versed in both dramatic lore and some of the, the local superstitions. Okay. Like snow walkers, skin walkers, and, you know, Wendigo and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and goblin is just a word in German for, like, a f- more physical supernatural being. Cause there's, okay. There's specter and goblin. Uh, and specter's more, like, ghost, yeah. like, paranormal. Yeah. Like, okay. Kind of. It's weird because, you know, the Snally Gaster is a specter, is a oh. ghast, a ghost. Okay. As But, you know, it's more... Quick and I, it just is kind of the way they break up their folklore. Okay, it's very different than ours. Okay, let me find out where I was. Why don't you talk for a second? No, you were uh, <clears throat> finishing off with this. So he. May- okay, sorry, you're back. <laughs> and it may have been or overcome by the horror that the fate that befell his friend, and he had oppressed by an awful dread of the unknown. He grew to attribute both the time 
and the still more resemblance, weird, elfling traits to what merely some wicked and cunning wild beast. But whether this was or is not, no man can say for sure. So he's saying that he doesn't know if the story we're about to go into. He doesn't know if this guy is attributing more supernatural or more intelligence to this thing. Okay. Because he has had so much time. It was so horrible of an experience. Okay. That he's just putting, he's personifying much more evil traits onto it. Or if it's just an animal. Okay. You know, a grizzly bear killing a guy is just as gruesome yeah. as what we're going to, you know, as we're, what we're going to talk about. Okay. So the grizzly bear is not evil. Just a grizzly bear. It's just doing what it does. It just sucks to be around. Yeah. With their four-inch long claws or four, four to seven. Four to seven-inch long claws. When the event occurred, Brutman was a young man and was trapping with his partner along the mountains divided by the fork of the Salmon, uh, the salmon River from the head of the Wisdom River. Having not much luck, he and his partner determined to go up to a particular wild and lonely pass, though which ran a small stream said to contain many beaver. The pass had an evil reputation because of years before of solitary hunters had wandered into it were slain, seemingly by a wild beast, and were half-eaten remains being afterwards found by some mining prospectors who had passed his camp only the night before. Okay. So they're going to a place full of, supposedly full of beavers. Beaver at the time was one of the most expensive furs in North America. Uh, it was well worth it uh, to the, these men. And but there were stories of all these guys just being found half eaten and beaten to death, and prospectors that were moving through the area would just find camps and be like, "Okay, let's stop in for the night." Yeah, and see just half a guy. Jeez. You know what? We're not going to stay here tonight. Yeah, this probably ain't a good spot to camp. The memory of this event, however, weighed very lightly with the two trappers, who were as adventurous and hardy as others of their kind. They took to their two lean mountain ponies in the foot of the pass, and they left them in the open beaver meadow, in the rocky timber-clad ground before they were onward, impractical for horses. So they basically rode their horses as far as they could, and they found a little safe valley to leave their horses in. parked them. And parked them, essentially, and they went in by foot. They were struck out on foot, though. It was vastly gloomy forest, and in about four hours reached a little open glade where they concluded to camp as a sign a game were plenty. There was still an hour or two of daylight, and after building a brush lean-to and throwing down and opening their packs, they, sta- they started upstream. The country was very dense and hard to travel through, and as they were much down timber, although there are here and there were somehow woodlands by broken up by small glades of mountain grass. At dusk, they again reached camp, the glade in which they had pitched them tents was not many yards wide or tall, and close set by pines and firs raining around them like a wall. So they're, they're camped in this tiny little glade. A glade is just like a meadow. I was going to ask what that was. It's okay. a flat plain. Okay. So, But it's open grass. Uh, well, oh, like the Everglades. Yeah. I get it now. Flat grass. Gotcha. Okay. So they are set up in this little one, but it's like right on, like it's just barely anything. Meters wide. Okay. On one side was a little stream, beyond which rose the steady mountain slope, covered with unbroken growth of evergreen forest. They were surprised to find that during this absence, or during this absence, something apparently a bear had visited their camp and had rummaged around along their things, scattering the contents of their packs in the sheer uh, violentness destroyed their lean-to. The footprints of the beast, though, were 
quite plain strange. But at first, they paid little or no particular heed to them. So, already saying that they looked weird for a bear. Yeah. But they were so used to bear. Yeah. They're just like, okay, it's a bear. Right. You know, if this if it comes back, we're going to have to deal with this bear. Right. But he destroyed their camp, basically. Yeah, but they, the author does later on in the book, makes it very prominent this was not an uncommon thing. Right. So I just want to make that, because to us, you know, be like, oh, bear, you know, destroyed your stuff. They were just like, It yeah, happened. Yeah, whatever. It's like the eighth time. Yeah, we'll have to kill a bear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the quite point. But they busied themselves with rebuilding their lean-to, laying out their beds, and storing the light of the fire. While Brentman was making a ready supper, it began already to dark. His companion began to examine the tracks a little more closely, and then soon took a brand from the fire and followed them up. When there was an int- or when the intruder had walked along the game trail after leaving the camp, when the brand flickered out, he returned and took another, repeating his inspection of the footprints very closely. Coming back to the fire, he stood by for a minute or two, peering out into the darkness. He suddenly remembered, Brinkman, that bear has been walking on two legs. Brinkman laughed at this, but his partner insisted that he was right, and upon again examining the tracks with his torch this time, they certainly did seem to be made by two paws or feet. However, this is too dark to really make sure. After discussing whether the footprints could possibly be those of a human being and coming to the conclusion that they could not be, the two men rolled up their blankets They went to sleep under the lean-to. At midnight, Brinkman was awakened by some noise. He sat up in his blanket. As he did so, his nostrils were struck by a strong, wild beast odor. Mm. And he caught the loom of a great body in the darkness at the mouth of the lean-to. Grasping for his rifle, he fired at the vague, threatening shadow, but seemingly missed. For immediately afterwards, he heard the smashing of the underwood of the thing. Whatever it was had rushed off the impenetrable darkness of the forest in the night, as if it wasn't there. So he might not have missed. Yeah, that's, we'll get to there. Yeah, okay. Don't, don't shoot Bigfoot. It's very bad. <laughs> no. You get turned into a hat. If you... Never mind. She's like, if you do, you better aim for the eyes or something. Come for the king, you better not miss. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh. So after this, the men slept but little, sitting up in the in the, re, or the rekindled fire. But they heard nothing more. In the morning, they started out to look for the few tribes they had set the previous evening and put out some new ones. But the unspoken agreement they kept together all day. So uh, what the authors mean by this. They never said they normally would trap and run the lines by themselves. Right. Whatever reason, they did not separate today. On this one, yeah. yeah. So they they never talked about it, but they were together being like, you know, we're we're just gonna run these traps together for some reason. Right. In the buddy return, system. Yeah, in return to camp that evening. On nearing the it we then we saw a hardy with their astonishment. Their lean to had again been tore down. The visitor of the preceding day had returned and with a wotan of malice, had tossed about their camp kits and bedding and destroyed their shanty. The ground was marked by its tracks, and leaving the camp, it had gone along the soft earth of, by the brook. The footprints were as plain as if it were snow, and after a careful scattering of the trail, it certainly did not seem as whatever this thing was. It had walked off but on two legs. Mm. So uh, this time, when they say malice, what they're meaning by this is, the first time it seemed like it was just kind of rummaging like a through. bear, you know, yeah. just looking for stuff. And this time it was absolutely destroyed on purpose right? because it was angry. And it made a point of it. Yeah. You know, you can tell, though, these things aren't probably aren't human related. 
Because if it was a human, he would have done all that and then peed on all of it. Oh. Okay. Just to rub it. This probably, all right, you're done with all this. The men thought uneasily. They gathered up a heap of dead logs and kept up a roaring fire through the night. One or other were sitting guard for most of the time. About midnight, the thing came down through the forest opposite across the brook. It stayed there on the hillside for nearly an hour. They could hear it breaking branches and cracking as it moved along several times and unearthed a harsh, guttural, long-drawn moan, a particularly sinister sound. Yet it did not venture near the fire. So the, it's, the thing has come back down. It's sitting just yards from just, them. Yeah, hanging out. And they and can, just, can they see it or just hear it? They can just hear it. Okay, they know they it's heard there. heard stomp, 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 and then it yeah. kind of moves back and forth, and it's sitting there. And from what I read in the book, like it's snapping branches like it's bored. Yeah, like or wait, just intimidating. Waiting for its op- – it could be that intimidating too, but I think it's yeah. waiting for its opportunity. Because mm. they're Because they got the roaring fire. Yeah. And they both got guns. Man, just imagine why? Why do they got to be so violent and not just come sit by the fire and start sharing stories? Well, they shot at it. Why? Well, true. True. And in the morning, the two trappers, after discussing the strange events of the last thirty-six hours, they decided that they should shoulder their packs and leave the valley this afternoon. They were more ready to do so than because, in spite of seeing good game signs, they had caught very little fur. So their traps are coming up empty, even though there's tons of animals, and it wasn't quite making sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it seemed unnes- or it seemed necessary first to go along the line of their traps and gather them, as they stated out to do so. All that morning, they kept together, picking up the trap after trap after trap, and each one empty. Mm. On first leaving the camp, they had been disagreeable sensation of being followed. In the dense spruce thickets, they occasionally heard a branch snap after they had passed, and now had taken with a slight rustling sound along the small pines on one side of them. At noon... So before I continue, so they're trying to pull all their traps. Right. Still all empty. Right. They really haven't caught nothing. Now, I don't know. How do these traps? They're called conibears. Those are the snap traps. Yeah. Like big, uh, like a. They're the, either that or it doesn't go into. The, it's either a conibear or a a pinch line trap for beaver. Pinch line. Which is like a snare. Think oh, about, okay. Uh, it's an aquatic snare. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's what you, really what you target beaver with. And now, are they finding these traps like set off and empty or just not even tripped? doesn't really go into detail. Okay. And we'll get into why probably he doesn't go into detail. Oh, okay. Because he doesn't have arms. <laughs> well, I mean, that would just be a big indicator of like what's kind of what's going on like think, or the set in the mood. I think you caught on to the end. What? Are they set off? No, they're, they're all emptied. Is all he would say is they're empty. Right. That Yeah. Um, I guess if I walked upon my trap not being set or if it's been set and there's nothing in it, and if that's happening repeatedly, then it's like, oh, okay. Okay. So at noon, they were back within a couple miles of camp. It was high, bright sunlight. Their fear seemed absent. And the two men armed, accompanied by what they were thought long years of lonely wandering in the wilderness, to face every kind of danger for man, brute, and element, there were still three beaver traps to collect from a little pond in a wide ravine nearby. Rentman volunteered to gather these and bring them in, while his companion went ahead to camp and made ready their packs. Mm. So this is the first time they're splitting up. And he's saying, I'll go get these last three traps. You go get camp ready so we can get out of here. Skedaddle. And the only reason he's saying this is because it's high noon. It's bright day. Yeah. Or he's thinking like, okay, you know, we're get- probably safe right now. Are there horses still? Different valley. Yeah, they're still over there, right? Yeah. Okay. Horses just stay. 
Right, right. I'm just find him. I'm just making sure, like, they're still like planning on going back to their horses and yeah, but they got to hike back out. Right, exactly. Okay. On reaching the pond, Bruntman found three beavers in these traps, one of which had been pulled loose and carried into a beaver house. He took several hours securing and preparing the beaver, and when he started homewards towards the mark, he had some uneasiness. How low the sun was getting, he hurried towards camp under the tall trees. The silent and desolate of the forest weighed upon him. His feet made no sound on the pine needles as he slanted through the sun rays, striking through among the slight trunks, made a gray twilight in which objects at a distance gleamed indistinguishably. There was nothing to break the gloom of of stillness, which there was no breeze, always away from broods over the supreme primal forest. So he's walking back, and there's it's dead silent. Mm-hmm. It's almost eerily silent, and he doesn't like that. Okay. He's just trying to get back as fast as he can. At last, he came to the edge of the little glade where they had camped, laid out, and shouted as he approached it, but got no answer. So he gets home, and he's like, hey, I'm back. You know, Sorry it took so long. We got, actually got some furs. Nobody, nobody, no answer. No, nobody's home. The campfire had gone out, though thin blue smoke was still curling upwards. Near it lay the packs, unwrapped and arranged. At first, Brimman could see nobody, nor did he receive an answer from his calls. Stepping forward again, he shouted, and he did, or as, as he did, so his eyes fell on the body of his friend. Mm. You want to guess what state it was in? Um, Death. <laughs> yeah. Stretched beside the trunk of a great fallen spruce, rushing towards his horrified, the, the horrified trapper found the body of his still warm friend. But the neck had been broken, while there were four mm. great fang monk parkshire marks in his throat. Ooh. As if the thing had just bit him on the throat. And broke his neck. The footprints of the unknown beast creature painted deep in the soft soil and told the whole story. The unfortunate man was having finished his packing, had sat down on the spruce log with his face to the fire, his back towards the dense forest, to wait for his companion. While thus waiting, this monstrous assailant which must have been lurking in the woods, waiting for his chance to catch the adventurer unprepared, came silently up behind him with a log, nonetheless steps, and seemingly with two giant legs. Avent- or evidently unheard, it reached the man and broke his neck by wrenching his head back with his, fore- with his forepaws. So it's like he grabbed and just snapped his neck like that. Like twisting but, a, but you said there's fang marks on the neck too. Yeah, like it bit him afterwards. Oh, after you think? Yeah, because the, the way the neck is broken is a twist. Oh, okay. But he also had giant bites too. I see. I, in my head, I just pictured he um, like vampired it. That or like when my dog, I first witnessed him kill a squirrel. He just grabbed onto it and shook it so violently and then threw it. That was it. Oh, uh, so squirrel dead. So yeah, and so he had. Back with its forepaws, while then it buried its teeth into his throat. Gosh. It had not eaten any of the body and apparently had romped and gumbled around the unconscious fearless glade, occasionally rolling over it. It had then fled back into the soundless depths of the woods. So it's just like it didn't care. Like it did it destroyed it did the job. camp. Yep. It was he's seen footprints halfway on, halfway off its body, like it was stomping around. Yeah. Like uh in my mind it was upset the other guy wasn't there. Or it just was making a point like... It could be that too. So Brentman, utterly unnerved and believing the creature which had dealt with something either half-human or half-devil, 
had this great goblin beast abandoned everything but his rifle and ran full speed to the pass, not halting until he reached the beaver's meadow and hobbled ponies were still grazing. Mounting, he rode after, outwards through the night until beyond the ranch of its pursuit. I'm shocked this thing didn't chase him down and or kill his horses. Now, you may have picked up who this story is written by. Really? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, good. What would be a really reliable source for the story? Hmm. Bob Gimlin? How about President Theodore Roosevelt? Oh. This is the the mountain man that told Theodore Roosevelt. Yes. Their Bigfoot encounter. You know, this... I kept sounding like vaguely familiar for some reason. I I left out some names. On, like I was when I was reading, I was trying not to read. President Roosevelt was yeah. everywhere in the story. Yeah. So long before he was president, even before he was a rough rider, he was assistant secretary of war or governor of the New York State. Theodore Roosevelt tried his hand at ranching in the wilds of North Dakota. Okay. Until the blizzard of eighteen eighty six and eighty seven wiped out most of the cattle herds. One of his books, one of his sworn of years, was called The Wilderness Hunter from eighteen ninety three contains perhaps the first wildly distributed modern tale of a Bigfoot encounter. So this is what we just read. Yep. And Teddy said this was told to him while he was ranching out there. Mm-hmm. But did you know for a short period of time, Teddy Roosevelt was also in his youth a fur trapper out west. Wow. And How convenient. A lot of people believe, and I'm one of them, that this is actually Teddy Roosevelt's encounter. Yeah. His story. His that, story that he had to tell it after he was president in a way that would still val- bring validity to it, but not be him. Right. And then we have a couple evidence, a uh, couple other evidences for stories he'd done this with also with his trips to the Amazon and such. Mm. So this would kind of follow that same thread he has done in previous books. It just seems like he should be the guy in the Dos Equis commercials, like the most interesting man. I cannot wait. So I think our spring shirt yeah. is almost done. And it's... All about Teddy. It was he hunting Snallygaster and I, I'm not telling you, but bull riding sharks. Pear is having trouble doing it. I bet he is. Makes me happy. <laughs> okay, so no, a very violent end. So, what do you think about this encounter? We can get back. To, I think it was Teddy. I think he told it in a way. Either way, though, he thought it was so formative in a book just about the wilderness adventures he had. He added this story and told to him by what he said it was an old mountain man. Right. And I am one of the believers that think it was his just his encounter. Just his encounter. Um, whether well, I guess I'll just throw that out completely. Whether it's his encounter or not, uh, either way, he's telling the story. I think it's credible enough to where, if he's the one sharing it after being president, I th- I think there's a. I don't think he's just going to go out there and just make something up. You know? Right, right, right. So and, I think it's I think it's credible. I think this is a real story that really happened. Do you, so do you if you had to personally lean one way, do you think it's his story or not? Yeah, I do kind of think it probably is, but I can I can totally see it being he knew enough people. Oh sure. And I mean, to where somebody would 
open up and Keep tell mind, him this. everybody at home, this is the president that had a pet hyena that left the campaign trial to hunt right. the Stanley Gaster. Right, exactly. So he already had a belief in the supernatural or the paranormal entities in North America. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, because you think about why would a person running for president leave the campaign trial to hunt a dragon? Right. Because he'd already seen another, a different wild beast. Right. He'd already seen a monster, quote unquote, in the flesh. So, and he's seen what it can, they can do. So maybe in my head, that's why he took it seriously enough yeah. that when the Stanley Gaster sightings were destroying cattle and, you know. I mean, how good would that look on the campaign trail if he just brought back a mounted Stanley Gaster head? Yeah. But it, I mean, automatic win. So I got one more and then we'll discuss and then we'll definitely be a part two because we're not even halfway through all my right. stories. I oh, have. yeah. I think this is deserving of a multiple part. Yeah. So the, my next one is from True North. A Journal into the Unexplored Wilderness. It's the title of a book from nineteen from nineteen thirty three, a memoir style book written by Elliot Murick. Okay, Murick, Merrick, Murick, who died at the age of ninety one in Asheville, North Carolina, in nineteen ninety seven. Oh wow! Okay, long life. Good for him. True North was Murick's uh, first ever book, and others included the Green Mountain Farm, Cruising at Last, and From This Hill Look Down. So he did write several books. In True North, Merrick took or told the story of a girl who had been uh, described close or had a described close encounter with a Bigfoot that just might have seen her as a tasty meal. Ooh. The location of which turned into an almost horrific tragedy was tra- uh, Tavern Spine, Happy Valley, Goose Bay, Labrador, Canada. Oh my gosh! That is the name of a place. Canada, come on! Wait, what? Let's repeat it one more time. Travers Spine, comma, Happy Valley, slash, Goose Bay, Labrador, Canada. Okay. That is one place. All right. Just saying. Canada, come on. <laughs> Let's lower those names. We got a lot of great Canadian listeners. It's not your fault. The government, though, needs, we need to, one name, two names, Max. One name two regulation. Names, Max. The time, roughly 20 years earlier, which had been placed at things that were approximately from 1912 to 1914. Uh, Marek wrote that in his book, ghost stories are very real in the land of scattered lonely homes and primitive fears. The Traverse Spines gorilla is one of the creepiest. So that's what they're calling the beast. Gorilla? We've hit the mics more this day than any we have in previous. I know, right? I noticed that myself. I don't know. It's because, I don't know. Something not, in the air. We're not drinking enough or something. <laughs> yeah. So they called it the gorilla, and I just thought that was an interesting thing. Yeah. Because keep in mind... Uh, this is just right when gorillas were discovered. Okay. As far as North America was considered, you know, a few years previous. Right. So it was the only thing, why I think it was so common in some of these early Bigfoot stuff, because it's the, the you know, gorillas are big, mm-hmm. they're human-like, mm-hmm. and they're really powerful, so that's kind of like, oh, this is just a gorilla. Same thing, yeah. Just, we just have gorillas here, I guess. So Travis Pine Gorilla is one of the creepiest. About 20 years ago, one of the little girls was playing in the open, grassy clearing on the autumn afternoon. What she saw coming out of the woods was a huge hairy thing with low-hanging arms. It was about seven feet tall and it's when it stood fully erect, and then sometimes it dropped down on all fours. Hmm. Across the top of its head was a white mane. Mm, okay. So it kind of thinks silverback or there's uh, Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, he had that too on his saginal crest. Mm, he had a, a white, 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 a white tuft of hair. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it's, you know, that soft disclosure kind of thing or just happens to be that artist and had the similar depiction. Right, yeah. It, you know, it has been reported that they can have patterns. Yeah. It's not common, but it's not unheard of. Okay. 
Uh, the girl, hardly surprised, was rooted up from the spot with fear. The fear reached fever pitch levels with a half animal, half human thing, mo- thing motioned towards the little girl in a fashion that led her to think the beast was calling to her to come closer. Okay. So this monster comes out. Yeah, and it's coaxing her towards him. Yeah. Come here. Mom. Come on. Friend? Bad. Friend? If, if the girl had any plans to do so, they were quickly dismissed by the face of the monster broke into what of that of an evil, sinister grin. Yeah, okay. This ain't Bigfoot. This Bigfoot like well, hold that hold that judgment. All right. It's waving at her and smiling. And yeah. she's just describing all these teeth. Like now, the devil. Okay, does she go? So it was at this point the girl could see the creature's huge mouth, which was filled with huge, ferocious looking teeth. They were the teeth that could easily have ended the life of the little girl if he made her a meal. Luckily, the little girl was able to summon up enough willpower and strength to make a run for it, which she did, to the home in which she had lived with her parents in almost a historical fashion. The girl blooded out what had happened and something that had led her father to hysterically and carefully check out the area in question. So she is so freaked out. Yeah. Her dad fully believes her, though, that whatever she's seen is real enough to really freak her out. Keep in mind, this is like homesteading. Right. Like, this is 1912 or 1914 in the middle of Labrador, Canada. There's not a lot of people. No. So it's, you know, he's taking this very seriously. And in my head, he's probably thinking it's a guy. Just a really weird man. Yeah. Or or just some beast. Or a beast. You know, it doesn't have to. I'm just thinking, you know. Yeah. As what I've, if a kid, my kid came on and I'm thinking that's a guy. It just happens to look absolutely freaky. Right. Yeah. The animal, however, had already gone. But there was some evidence to show that the girl had not been simply falling asleep and making a bedtime nightmare and had mistaken or had mistaken a bear for the monster. On the evidence, Merck told the readers, its tracks were everywhere in the mud, in the sand, and later in the snow. They measured the tracks and cut it out paper prints in which they had still keep. The strange-looking foot was about 12 inches long, narrow at the heel, and forking at the front into two broad, rounded toes. Just two? Yeah. It's almost like a two-toed bird track. Yeah, that's weird. Something or Sometimes it printed were so deep, they estimated it weighed around 500 pounds because that's how big it would have taken a man to sink that far. At other times, the beast marks looked no deeper than a men's track. The local, fo- or the local folk didn't waste any time at all by trying to find their hair-covered beast in their very midst. A posse was soon on the hunt, carefully scouting the nearby woods, which were seen by the most, or was most likely the location where the creature had been hiding out. At nighttime, stakeout from the nearby Mud Lake provided to be completely fruitless. They did another search in the lake for the following night. Traps were laid down for the anxious town folk. Nothing worked. The monster was gone for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, before I, before we continue on to the rest of the story, uh, so far, this is very freaky. Two toes. Yeah. Kind of Beast of Boggy Creek style footprint in my head. Okay. That they could just be kind of seeing maybe a broken foot. Yeah. And there's the, I don't like the word, but there's a cripple foot cast, which is another famous Bigfoot cast where yep. it's like twisted over. Right. Because it probably looks like it broke its foot young and healed Weird. funky. Yeah. You know, unset bones will just kind of, they're just going to dump calcium until right. it's not They'll broken. They'll find some way to uh, fix itself. So I'm kind of getting that vibes from it. Maybe not. We do know Bigfoot is obsessed. Bigfoot as a species can be obsessed with children. Mm-hmm. Whether that's nefarious or not, 
food or not. Right. I don't know. The famous Ohio one that... Uh, a Minerva monster? No. Doug oh. Walker talks about with uh, the mom, what he said was a mom Bigfoot watching the mom and the two little kids play on the playground. Yeah. Uh, I think that was just because uh, the mother said the Bigfoot had very swollen breast. Mm. So and it's just so, a maternal thing. Yeah. Maybe. And he, that's what I think and that's what he thinks. And even the mother that had the encounter thinks that whether she maybe lost her kids, yeah. like in childbirth she's or something. Just yearning for that. And so she just kind of like, she, she, you know, mom said after we got home, we didn't feel any fear, but it was yeah. very scary to see an eight foot tall thing just watching. standing over my kids. Yeah. And envy. And I think we talked about too in, that, in an episode a long time ago. Maybe it's just like, you know, like when you see little puppies playing together. Yeah, and they just like, enjoy it, right? They're bored yeah, out there. Yeah, it's it's entertainment, yeah. So this thing comes out, and at first she's, you know, scared and not running. And it's halfway on all fours, halfway walking, kind of weird gait, as far okay. as I can tell from the story. And it's staring at this girl, the big white crest over its head, almost baboon-like, mm-hmm. uh, but huge. And huge. it's motioning with its hand, hey, come over. Yeah, that's the... And then it smiles. Smile. Yeah, that's uh uh-uh. uh. Does it kinda of, so besides the track, does it kind of seem like anybody else? Like creature? Um, um I know you're hinting at something that I should probably well, be. Picking I, up, I kinda get dogman vibes. Oh, you get dogman. Okay. I get more fey, like the well, fey vibes. It could be that, but the main. Yeah. And this kind of halfway walking, halfway not, the weird tracks. They weren't supersized for a Bigfoot. Where is this exactly again? Labrador, Canada. It's way, Can- way up there in Canada. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm thinking even more like could be like Wendigo or something. Could be, yeah, that, That's another option too. But the smiling thing is what made me think of Dog Man because we have so many of these stories where they just yeah. look at you and smile. Yeah. It seems just just scary. Right, yeah. But I don't know. It could be Bigfoot. I just, I just see more. Well, I think more like demon-like entity that's imitating Bigfoot. Maybe. Oh, sure. You know, just the coaxing and then the smiling is, uh, I, I mean, she didn't, I'm assuming it didn't have red eyes or she would have probably described it. Oh, she would have it. mentioned it. Yeah, so. It's also broad daylight, too. Mm, maybe that's different. Yeah, maybe. I mean, just saying that it's weird even for any of them. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, just being out in the middle of the day. Yeah. Uh, so when the story reached Merrick himself, so we're going to talk about the rest, he was determined to try and find out what other accounts were true or tall tales of the kind, which are often told around campfires. It didn't take him long to learn that the people of Travers Spine took the whole thing extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. Even though by the time Mark was out or was onto the story, it had already been an old one. Having gained their trust, Mark spoke to more than 10 locals who had, at various times over the years, seen the unidentified abomination. It clearly wasn't a one off event. No one knew what the thing was, only that it was not normal. Uh, was not a regular animal of any kind. Merck added that the following, based on what one of his informants told him, one afternoon, one of the children saw it peeping in their window. She yelled, and old Mrs. McGillican grabbed her gun and ran out the door. That's a good lady. Uh, Kid yells, grabs a gun, all right. Instantly outside, yep. She then sat on top, or so, I'm sorry. She just saw the top of its head disappearing into the clump of trees. She fired where she saw the bushes moving and thinks she may have wounded it. She says to that she heard it rough, or so, sorry, she says to that it had a ruff of white fur across the top of its head down its neck. Mm-hmm. And at night, they used a bar, or they used a bar door with a short branch beam 
and they all slip upstairs taking the guns and axes with them. So they, she was so scared it was going to come back. Yeah. She boarded every whole family in the attic. Yeah. And just had the gun and the axes pointed at the door. Just waiting. But it had the white the white line of fur down its back. Again, yeah. Uh, and she shot at it. She may have hit it. I don't know. It wasn't just the people of Travers Spine that were concerned either. Their pets were equally concerned. <laughs> the dogs and whatnot? They got turned into hats. Did they? Specifically, the local dog population. Oh, no. On a number of occasions, the presence of dogs near the woods of Mud Lake provoked the monster into howling and growling in furious fashions, sometimes with either clearly demonstrating the creatures knew that the dog were near and reacted in a fashion day to keep them all away. Uh, It worked. The dogs kept well away from the area of all action. Interestingly, on one occasion, though, said Mark, the hairy horror swung one of the dogs. Oh, no. What? I just can't imagine what's about to happen. So he swung at one of the dogs. Oh, swung with, at. Yeah, with what he described as a club. I thought you were going to say swung the dog like the alligator in the tree thing. Oh, yeah. Fortunately, the dog was not injured, but the fact that the monster had a club or perhaps a large branch uh, off of a tree suggested that it was at least somewhat of a decently intelligent animal, one of which used not just brute force but weapons too. And then it was all over. After a few years of occasional mayhem, the monster was gone for good. So this is just one of those things that, uh, and they bring up, uh, this was a, a Nick Redfern, famous cryptozoologist. Okay. This is one of his articles uh, that I got that one from. And he makes the same comparison to Harry and the Hendersons having the big white stripe of fur. Okay. Um, but this thing is kind of Bigfoot, more of that almost a baboon style Bigfoot is what I'm kind of getting. Where, where did this one take place again? It's all Labrador. Oh, it's still the same. Yeah, it's the same town. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mud Lake's nearby. Oh, so probably the same exact creature. Yeah. Okay. And they had uh, like a four or five year flap. Understood. And okay. It would kind of go quiet for a while. Yeah. And then it would come up and cause mayhem. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes into more detail with it killing some several dogs, a lot mm-hmm. of livestock going missing, and the creature getting blamed. Who knows? You know, once there's anything a mo- could be possible. Yeah. Who? Uh, yeah. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Uh, whenever we do this again, we'll, we'll start back with Enos's story, which is a town in Texas. Okay. But what, what do you think about the Labrador encounters? It kind of reminds me of a little bit, uh, of your thing where maybe it just shows up at certain times. Maybe it's migrational. Like that's just its spot it found where it had a food source. Until it until it got scared off like enough or not scared off but maybe or it's shot like, enough times it died or or just shot at enough it's like okay it's time to move on because they're on to me or maybe sensing like but is it, this is the same one that was smiling yeah oh no but now let's keep in mind that was from a young girl's perspective yeah so oh true it true. may have just shown its teeth maybe it was just friendly maybe. It it could have been mimicking humans. Like, you ever seen, like, they tried to do that awkward, like, someone trying to do an awkward smile? They don't know mm-hmm. how. Like, the, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2 when he tries to smile. Well, you know, and, dogs mimic people smiling, right? Yeah. It oh, doesn't yeah. mean the same thing for a dog. No. You're not supposed to smile at chimps. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Hey, showing teeth is a either, depending on what species you are. But let's say it is, you're right, and there's time to mimic the people and yeah. trying to be friendly. And it just looks Completely frightening, yeah. Just showing off its teeth, like that's what you guys do. Do you know what I'm talking about though in Terminator Two? No. Uh, John's like talking to Arnold, and he's like, "Come on, you always look." He's like, "Just smile," and he doesn't understand, so he smiles. So then Terminator tries to smile back, and it's just like the most awkward, fake smile ever. It it, it just doesn't look. It's obviously not a real smile. It's pretty funny. All right, so let's get to what the heck's happening here. All right. 
So what would make a Bigfoot go violent? What would make them turn into, and like I said, this is only part one of this tale. Yeah. Because I have like five or six more. Where These are good too. So really yeah. Really bloody. Okay. Like uh, literally there's one where a guy was beat to death. Well, save it, save it, save it. Well, I mean, with another guy. Oh. Like uh, yeah, yeah. Jason in space. All right. There's something that look forward to. Uh, but yeah, so it's, there's some of these are horrifying. Yeah. And I wanted to really get to Teddy's because that's one that, you know, is really famous. But yeah. I've heard it kind of misquoted or at least maybe not misquoted. Interpreted in different ways. We interpreted a lot of stuff in one way. Okay. But, you know, interpretation is up, you know, some of this is up to interpretation. And it's also writing yeah. from over 100 years ago. Right. Game of telephone. So, so there's a lot of in it, but it's word for word how it's in Teddy's book. But someone like we talked about with Grizzled, that word does not mean what it means today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In in eighteen whatever I said eighteen ninety three I think I think so. So, what could be happening? What could cause a Bigfoot to go to these exact lengths? I have a list. All right. Uh, territory or perceived boundary crossed. So we talk yeah. about this with a lot that like uh, maybe this. Let's go and look at Teddy's first. That they entered an area that was known like Ape Canyon. Mm-hmm. You know, is known for ape activity well yeah. before Bigfoot was you know a commonplace thing talked about. Mm-hmm. To the everyday public, the mountain people and the Native Americans knew they were there. So if all these people are saying, if you go there, you're going to die. And even the – or no, that was in the Patreon episode this week with well, with the Bigfoot-like thing in Ontario that twisted heads off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the – Violent but, week. But same episode, like same things where they're saying you don't go to that area. Mm-hmm. That's their area. Right, leave them be. So you're literally crossing a territory or perceived boundary. I don't think it's as common anymore because I think we've kind of beat up their population a lot. Yeah. Secondhand style. Yeah. To where we're just everywhere. Right. And I think there are still a few of those places. Right. And I think uh, enough to where I've heard about it, you know, they talk about it like even on like the TV shows and stuff like that, but not necessarily like this is what this means. Like they show like a big X formation. They're like, oh, this means you shouldn't cross here. See, I think that that is real. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say – those things may be real, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what exactly that means. If I think if they if they are real, it is for Bigfoot for Bigfoot for other markers yes. for them. Yeah, yeah, just for their communication, not yeah. for us. They know mm-hmm. we don't know anything. Right? Yeah. Uh, I I can I think I agree with that. I think. Uh, so with these these really horrible encounters, I don't know if it's like with my Bigfoot encounter. You know, it started putting up structures. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I kind of think that was trying to take up more territory in the yard later on. You know, uh, claiming it, yeah, trying to be like, "This is my, you know, this is my line now." Mm. And we kept tearing this stuff down, and that may be why stuff started escalating. Mm. And and then I think it was a young one though. That's why it never really progressed. But you kind of get some of those same notes. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I. I don't believe we were in danger that night. But who knows? In another year or two. Could have been, when that yeah. thing got a little older and a little more bold. Starts peeking in your windows. I think th- I think it was already doing that. We just never caught it. Because mm. the dogs, the way that the night, the, the dogs were freaked out. Yeah. I think it had already been looking in all the windows in the house that night. Oh, so they were already freaked to yeah, begin with. It was, yeah, because the way they were reacting, to mm-hmm. me, signifies that they had been messed with. They were already, it was already yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, so I think that that could be a big portion of this. It, especially these territorial males, we're going to assume. Uh, could just be saying, like, once we cross, especially if you look at all these bad, these really horrific ones, mm-hmm. you know, the 18s, early 19s, you know, is when most of them took place. And now yeah. pe- the population is so big that they don't have, they can't do that. If they do that now, they'd be killing dozens of people really fast. And then 
the government would have a bullet in the back of their head. Which they probably already do. Oh, they do. I think that, <laughs> yeah. I think now they get put down a lot faster. Yeah. yeah I think probably. a couple hikers go missing and then they either get put down or relocated. Seal that up real fast. So what do you, what are you going to say with territory? Oh, uh, just that, uh, that it could be a very well possibility. Yeah. Okay. You just go into the wrong spot. Like that's their spot. They're claiming it. It's like you walking into someone else's house. My next one is they think you're a threat. And by this, I mean for their food, water, shelter, or offspring. Mm, okay. So animals, and even intelligent animals like us, if you threaten, for us, we call it property. For them, it's resources. Right. So for the Teddy Roosevelt story, they said it's an abundance of game. They entered the valley and immediately started trapping the game. Mm, okay. You're attacking their food source. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So they may have not crossed any territory. And like you said, miners had gone through that area before and never had any problems. They'd seen people dismembered, mm-hmm. but the miners would just keep moving. Yeah. So the miners may have not been a threat to the food sources, and the Bigfoot realized that. Therefore, no attack. So no attack. No displays. These guys, these fur trappers come in, immediately start putting in traps. Mm-hmm. And then they shoot at one mm-hmm. and immediately have bad results. Or, uh, right, exactly. What if it's not, though, I mean, it could be the food source. What if they're just friends with these animals? I mean, it could be that, too. Yeah. The nature guardian aspect. It's like, this is my beaver buddies. We were playing cards next so, week, and he just trapped his head. I think that goes towards uh, shelter, in a, in a way. Yeah. Their, their environment. You're you're coming in and disrupting their environment. the natural flow of things. Or, just, or killing their euchre partner. Or killing their euchre partner. And I do think there's a chunk of this with dealing with offspring. Like any animal, including us, offspring's the most important thing. So these guys, I'm using I'm using the Teddy Roosevelt story because that was the apex of this episode. Yeah. That maybe they got too close to an offspring of one and they never knew it. Right. Or that one that was standing in the bottom of their tent that night mm-hmm. was a, a juvenile. Mm. And they either heard it or maybe Shot killed it. it. Yeah. And it ran off and died somewhere else. You know, you shoot a deer. I've had we've had deer run a mile. Oh, yeah. And they, After being know, shot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They go forever. Shoot, I've shot a fish with a bow and arrow. And it goes, and, and go it, forever. it goes forever. So what if that's what happened that night? And so the first night, the first thing was curious. Yeah. Like they even said, it was like a bear had just gone through this stuff. You know, nothing. Like it was just like something rummaged through everything. Like, could, yeah, like it could be a juvenile Bigfoot just checking then, stuff out. He's just looking at him. I mean, he could have grabbed him. Yeah. But he's just the checking him out. And then you shoot him. Yeah. So, now he's dead and, and mom then, is, or dad is like, all right. So, what are you thinking about threats? So, what ones did we talk about this? We talked about the girl. Uh, we talked about Teddy's story. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember which ones. Uh, and then, oh, Bald Peter, the Cascade Mountains. Right, yeah. The wild, quote unquote, wild man. And we were kind of talking right. about the old folk Arkansas one yeah. before it was the Beast of Boggy Creek. Uh, so, what do you think about a threat to him? Just a threat to whether it's food, water, resources. Oh or yeah, offspring. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can't rule that out at all as being a possibility. Here's kind of a weird one: rogue or sick. And by sick, I can mean injured. Okay. Well, leave rogue away for a second. I want to talk about injured or sick. Uh, the Bigfoot, like in Teddy's story, was shot. A lot of these animals, and then when we get to the the next installment, will be much later in the season. Uh, there are a lot of these will get shot at first. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the main through line mm-hmm. is they get shot at and maybe injured. Okay. When we talked about man eaters, that tiger that killed the most people of any animal in, in documented history yeah. was shot in the face and had broken teeth. Okay. So she went to the easiest prey. 
and it was all ha- and it was kind of revenge and the easiest prey, so it started killing eating people. Okay. So if this thing is shot or injured, now it's not eating its normal game. An elk's very hard to kill. Whether you're a big friend or not doesn't matter. An elk is a hard animal to wrestle down. Right, yeah. Uh people aren't. No. So we're pretty soft. Especially kids. A lot yeah. of these target kids. So what if that's what's happening here? These are injured or sick animals. Going for easy food. going for easy food. Or they're kinda even like rabies and stuff like that. I was gonna say that. Like a when you see a coyote in they the middle start, of the day. Yeah, they start acting really weird. And yeah. a lot of these take place middle of the day. Yeah. So the uh Roosevelt's encounter took place in the middle of the day. The girls' encounter took place in the middle of the day. They were seeing the wild man eating deer meat in the middle of the day. Hmm. We're all deer meat. Hmm. So what if this is like a sickness that they get every once in a while? And that could explain the infrequency, but the violenceness of this. It's very like a one-off thing. Right, yeah. But it's very localized. Like there seems to be a couple years of something extremely violent that it goes away. Hmm. So it could be. be a shot individual it's injured. It could just be a sick one, or it could be like something more more dramatic, like uh, rabies or some other right, disease. Right? Yeah, some yeah disease or or what's that one we were just prions? Oh, prion disease. It could be. Uh, we'd all be dead though. If they're related to us. See, prions but, are scary. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I can't rule that out. I guess, but I, I think it's a, if that's the case, it's a smaller percentage of these. But I can't really rule it out because it's happening in nature. It happens. And like uh, well, we talked about the siege of Hanobia on Patreon two mm-hmm. weeks ago, mm-hmm. and that was a very similar thing where I think it would have been very violent if it didn't stop. Right. Yeah. If it and kept we got going. to a very violent point to where I think somebody was going to die yeah. on one of the sides. Some a big just, or a person was going to be dead yeah. in the next week. May turn into a push pop. Uh, so rogue is a weird thing in nature. Funny you say that too, because with the white streak in the hair, rogue. Bigfoot. Oh, from X-Men. X-Men. I was going to say that earlier, but then it just there it popped up organically. So, Rogue, uh, this isn't a definable thing, really, in biology. Mm-hmm. It depends on which species you're talking about. For example, elephants can go rogue. Yeah. Uh, we now think it's a musk-related thing. Musk? Musk. Yeah. So it's uh, when juvenile bulls, and this is a big problem in Africa right now, uh, ancient bull elephants don't really get musk anymore. Okay. There's these giant male elephants, and they kind of – they just don't get that anymore. They still breed every year and stuff like that. Musk is kind of like – think of a teenage hormone like rampant. Like okay. they have outburst. Yeah. Where these teenagers that may be really nice kids get violent for just a minute or you know have these dramatic outbursts. Oh, okay. So it's not the musk, the smell musk. No, no. It's a it's – a, they, they, they leak pheromones off the side of their head. You ever see them look like they're sweating beside their face? That's that. The pheromones coming out. And then uh, they can't stink. They do stink when this happens. Oh, okay. But it's just the the phase in their sexuality that is being described. Okay. Um, and then they they get violent. They'll kill cows. They'll as in cow elephants. Right. They'll kill babies just to do it. And the biggest thing that used to yeah well yeah because they they they're not themselves. Right. They're ho- they're being flooded with hormones. Hormones. Yep. And kind of snapping. So what used to happen is these giant bull elephants would would. Calm that would just basically stand on top of the teenagers until they calm down. Mm-hmm. And now we've killed all of those for their tusk. So now the now they're killing more elephants. Actually, more elephants are dying in some areas in Africa than poachers because of these single juvenile bull wow. elephants are killing just out of rage. They don't know what they're doing. Well, you you take the tusks or take the tusk, increase the musk. There you go. It's not so good. That was what was happening there. So I don't know. If it's something similar that this rogue state could be. I got another one. Save the tusk, stop the musk. 
There you go. That these rogue Bigfoot could be a similar rogue thing with that. Is that they are these may be juvenile males experiencing their hormonal rage. Yeah. And they they are used to fighting other Bigfoots, right? Right. So big dad Bigfoot that's ten foot tall could throw a seven foot Bigfoot against the wall like nothing. Like not yeah. And that's kind of but when they deal with people, you know, we're so much weaker and they're having these violent outbursts towards us. Mm-hmm. Uh, ripping heads off, like you know, and all this stuff. So I don't know if that's what's happening. Rogue is also in other animals. We're not sure if it's some kind of disease that may pop up in some species. Yeah. Well, they just kind of snap. Right. They go past natural behaviors, and whether it's more focused on towards people, but it can be towards other animals. Uh, there was a rogue rhino that was killing a bunch of juvenile elephants because mm. he was horning them. They they thought it was an elephant doing it because they'd find this big hole right. right in these elephants' armpits. Yeah. And they were like, well, it's killing the elephants, and they figured out it was a rhino doing it. Yeah. And this rhino went right in the head, and they put it down. Yeah. Because it was just like, it was killing other rhinos, it was killing hippos, it was killing... Well, you know, if he had a bad, you know, abusive home life growing up, you know, product of his environment, but he was happen. He was actually a rhino they had documented forever. Oh, really? Yeah. And it just flipped. Yeah. And so that's called going rogue. Where it's just like snap from natural behaviors. Maybe his lady rhino left him and took all of his, you know, half his, left half. him bankrupt. And, you know, and then he had to pay the legal bills and he just went nuts. So I don't know if it's something like that or it's rogue or if it's this teenage angst and we just happen to be so much smaller. That yeah. That we just take it out on yeah. us. Easy target. Because like when you look at the teddy, it's almost like it threw a tantrum after. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, our Bigfoot encounter was very... It did some very scary stuff, but to me, it was always seemed like a, a teenager. Yeah, like it was throwing fits and stuff like you know with mm-hmm. how it was behaving. So I don't know if that's what's happening here. So would you say yay or nay on that? Sick or Musk? Um, I mean, I still like yeah, I I'd say yeah. I think all these are yay yays, but certain percentages, you know. This last one is mostly aimed towards the girls' encounter. Okay, and even the the wild man they try to clothe. Uh. They just get hungry, and just, they're our natural. They're one of our natural predators, Uncanny Valley style. Yeah. So this we talked about it with a big famous episode on the show. The Uncanny Valley is one of our more popular episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we talk about these creatures that humans are naturally scared of human like things for right. some reason. Where we have this genetic fear, and the only other genetic fears we have are the dark snakes and spiders. Yeah, which are all threats in early human. History. And water's one too, right? It's not as genetic. It depends on okay. your population and stuff like that. But yes, it, deep water is one. But most scientists think that's more towards the dark. Like the dark is the quote unquote unknown. Oh, okay. Open unknown. Like we can't see in it. Gotcha. So it might as well be pitch black forest or deep ocean. It doesn't matter. Right. We don't, Anything at we any angle can come yeah. kill you. Yeah. So we did our genetic fears and then the uncanny valleys are the other one. And we didn't discover it until robots. You know, we started developing human-like animatronics, and that really freaked a lot of people out, and we couldn't figure out why forever. And we talked about the Japanese scientists that kind of coined the term and all this, because you can either look really human and not freak people out, or really not human and not freak people out. There's just that small valley in the graph mm-hmm. that really, like 80, what was it, it was like 80 to 80, or 80 to like 95%. Something nuts, but... Like really human, but not quite. There's got to be a reason for it. So what if this is it, that Bigfoot may be much more endangered now? But they were our natural predators for a long time, and we're just still getting some of these instances where they're still acting upon those old traits. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, anything that's violently eating you or murdering your neighbors, 
Gonna be pretty scared of it. And then, like I said, they get hungry. So when we talk about this nowadays, I think it's very different. That I don't think you're in much fear of a Bigfoot in, uh, as far as eating you. Yeah. Unless you're in the Pacific Northwest or Alaska or northern Canada. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we've talked about. It. That's so where more calories re- matter. Yeah, more remote areas. Where they have parts of the year that they need more calories. Mm-hmm. When you go to the other stuff, like, you know, where there's calories available all year round pretty easily for them, a human's not a good target. Right. Because we're like ants. You know, there's going to be more humans looking for that human that went missing. You know, Thorg hungry. Thorg want eat. Thorg want eat. So I don't know. What do you think about all this? Um, it, I think it shines a light on... That not all Bigfoot aren't always your friendly forest giants. I'm not giants. saying anybody hate Bigfoot. No, no, no. No, not at all. Just be cautious. Be aware. Um, and don't disrespect other people's area. There you go. That's probably the best way to put it. I have been the great and powerful mystery. And I've been J-Clone 37? What? We'll catch you next week, guys. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to Cribbins the Corn Podcast. Remember, the best way to support the show is share it with a friend. But if you are craving more of the J-Clones and more from Mr. E, there's always extra content on Patreon and our paid member space on cryptidsofthecorn.com. We'll catch you next time with more exciting, fun, and informative information. Bye! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.